Hey everyone, it's June 15th, 2017, and this is your episode 100 of At Percussion. Woo! Okay, and so we're doing a no-guest episode. We thought we'd just keep this one all to ourselves, so uh, in no particular order, our original cast of hosts, Megan Arns. Hello! And Ben Charles. Hi everybody. And right here is Laurel Black. Hi! So how do you guys feel about... 100 episodes this is crazy i don't want to say that i didn't think that we would get here because i i knew we would get here but it feels crazy to do something 100 times every week i have to say for me this was kind of this was kind of the marker where i said okay let's uh let's plan on inventing this podcast and we'll at least go to 100. And if it's too difficult, or it's the re- you know the the reaction from people is bad or something, 100 is where we'll stop. But I have to say, like it's you, you have know, to I, say that we, this is the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like for everyone easily, listening, right, I'm right, sorry. It's e- this like is this the end of the podcast. Like this would have been the end, but I'm happy to say that because there was listener enthusiasm and people are writing in and people are showing interest and we keep getting guests and you guys keep giving reports that it's only gotten easier, which is really cool. So So we're not stopping the podcast. Correct. I thought we were stopping the podcast. I think think we need to do exactly one more episode, actually, because if I recall correctly, (laughs) Tom Burrett did 100 episodes of his uh, Percussion Axiom TV so we need to do one more to pass Tom Burrett, then we're then we're <laughs> Yeah, just one more, yeah. No, in no, fact, Megan, we've got be... someone booked. We've got someone booked for one on one already. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would be real I would this has like become such a part of my life, you know. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but it's like it's the Sunday activity and it would be really bummed if we stopped. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think the good thing is it seems like there's a lot more still to talk about and a lot more people. I don't see us running out of people. Oh. that's yeah. That was something I was afraid of is that we would run out of interesting guests. And I still have like a laundry list in my head of people that we could ask. I know. Here's a question for everybody. How do you, how has the podcast uh, turned out to be in accordance with your expectations or maybe contrary to your expectations. Start with Laurel. You haven't said anything yet. Mm. I expected to like having a, uh, yet another reason to read a lot. Like I love to read. It's one of my normal activities, but I, um, I figured I would enjoy having an outlet to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And to share it with more people. But it's more just been a burden. And I have liked it. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. I um I did learn. I've always known I'm a better communicator in writing, but I learned I'm more long-winded in writing. Hmm. So then when I try to talk about it, I tend to ramble. So I learned that about myself. <laughs> um, and I yeah. tend to, to go a little long. So I guess that's mine. Very yeah. self-centered. Yeah. What do you think, Ben? Comments. Uh, for me, I, I guess, sort of similar to Laurel, like, I've, I've enjoyed learning things about percussion history, and I learned a lot of the stuff I've talked about in uh, Mersha's percussion literature class, um, but it's been interesting learning just for the sake of learning, um, because when you have to write a research paper, it feels very structured, and you have to document everything, and 
all that sort of thing. But it's fun for me just to sort of go online and say, today I want to learn about Bartok or something, and just learn about something without trying to make some sort of formal paper or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, and I mean, for me, teaching, it's made me kind of make my students learn a lot more about the context of what they're playing. Yeah, sure. Anything for you, Megan? Yeah, two things. Well, one is getting to know, I guess I expected this, and that was one of the reasons I was excited about this, but getting to know your guys' circle of friends and the people that inspire you and the people that you want to talk to, because I think, you know, we all kind of come from different places. And so, you know, seeing an upcoming guest on the list and being like, I don't even know who that is awesome. And then, you know, learning about that person and then talking to that person, I feel like it's kind of expanded my circle of percussion friends and not even percussion people, but, you know, um, sports people and uh, composers and writers. And so that's really awesome. And I'm really excited to keep expanding that circle. And then, yeah, as for my segments, I think I, at first it was really easy for me to find topics like, oh yeah, I'm going to talk about this because I love this and I'm going to talk about this because I love this and I know something about this and this and this and this. And then eventually it was like, okay, it's not that I don't know anything anymore, but it kind of forced me to be like, okay, well, it's not coming so easy anymore. And it kind of forced me to start looking outside or even outside of percussion a little bit more um, of finding things that are relative to us, but not what we already know, like basic and, you know, I don't know, whatever, other things that we all know as percussionists, but kind of looking internationally and also outside of our discipline a little bit. It's gotten a little yeah. bit harder in that way, but more rewarding also, I think. I've learned a lot more. Yeah, sure. I have to, I have to say it's it, one of my initial plans for myself and, and goals was to give myself a weekly push to try to prepare something because I've always Uh had that oh yeah I'm really going to read up on this so I'm really going to research that and just having a little assignment every couple of weeks was uh yeah did the trick so a a lot of those discoveries were really fun like the uh you know Ben's segment on Nancaro was Uh great because I I learned so much extra things because I did a little bit of research and bumped into something I would have never expected or the 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 one I did on wax cylinder recording recovery that was really really cool and I don't know it's just nice because I, I wouldn't have thought to, to to bother to look into those things that difficult if we didn't you know have to every week has a uh, sure. has Nancaro yeah. crept into your compositions at all Casey oh probably somewhere <laughs> in there <laughs> multi tempo <laughs> stuff going on <laughs> the music boxes um, but yeah piggybacking off of what Megan said I think. In addition to meeting each other's circle of friends, it's been interesting to meet our circle of teachers because some yeah. of the teachers, for example, Michael, Michael Burrett is someone that I'm very familiar with just because he's Michael Burrett, but I've never taken a lesson with, hadn't had a conversation with or anything like that. So it was interesting for me to get different teachers' perspectives on teaching. <laughs> Yeah, yeah totally. Sure. We got we got to know him recently, which I guess is a nice segue into our my next little uh, uh, section of topics. But um, this, I, I guess it was late May, we did the the big festival in Taiwan again, and I got to share a concert. Guys, this totally freaked me out. So I was on a concert called Masters, mm-hmm. and 
it was it was just a it was a recital a 90 minute recital and we each had about you know 20 20 25 minutes or something but michael burrett jean chauffois emmanuel sejourney momoko kamiya shi Wu, and me and i was just yay KB. Who, oh yeah it's cool who was before you and after you in that concert yeah it's terrifying but it's awesome <laughs> did you have to follow That's... momoko because <laughs> forget she it i had to follow who did i follow she... um i followed shi and, and after was Jean? I don't think Jean was on that concert. Oh, he was on my concert, was he? yeah. Oh, he was. Yeah, because yeah. he did the thing with his phone. Um, yeah. But anyway, I mean, I felt... And of course, I'm not saying, oh, I I've, I haven't accomplished stuff. But those guys are kind of in a different... <laughs> I'm real happy about it and everything. But I was a little scared. I, I didn't quite feel like, ooh, I don't know if I... Uh, I mean, I feel accomplished, but I don't quite feel like Emmanuel Sejourney and John Chauffois, of course, and definitely not Momoko Kamiya. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it went, yeah, uh, Shi'i, myself, Jean. Yeah. Did you guys all play something together, too, or did everyone do kind of their own? Our own thing. Yeah. Uh, Mike and Emmanuel played something yeah. together. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Momoko brought the house down. Everybody really? loved. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Everybody loved Momoko. Oh yeah. She's one of the most ridiculous play. I mean, not to put down anyone else on that concert. They're all amazing, but Momoko Kamiya is just out of this world. I mean, yeah, she can she can shred. Yeah, it's way cool. Yeah, I'd never seen her play before, and she was the one that I like when I saw her name. I was like, <gasps> <Yeah. gasps> that's awesome. Does she get? Has she played it basic recently at all? I mean, I. I, I definitely have not seen her play either. I saw her play. At, I mean, she did. It was a while ago, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't know when that would have been. The, the, the time I saw her was at uh, Fernando Meza's 2010 uh, big, big marimba festival, which also equally freaked me out because um, for similar reasons. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Very cool. I don't know if you guys saw my picture on Facebook of Laurel and I playing that giant gong. Yes. So yes. I, sh- I tell you guys to hear little... what was going along with that picture so bad. Oh man, it was really, really cool. So I, I was, I was really surprised to find out that that's the fifth one of those that they've made and they've sold. So if you want to take any guesses, how much? So yeah, sixteen thousand US. Okay. Which is actually cheaper than I thought. I, I thought yeah, for sure thought. cheaper than I was thinking. I was, like, I was guessing. I know, <laughs> or a giant gong, but it, it was really surprising to me because I've heard of companies making really, really big gongs, but it's it's been for like trade shows. They, you know, Pisces brings their giant gong to a big trade show, and people, yeah. it's a big attraction to the They're booth. They're a novelty item. It's a novelty yeah. item, and so that's kind of what I thought this was, but we were really surprised to find out, no, this is the fifth one they've made and sold, so... The interesting thing I thought is that the reason these are bought are for uh, Eastern uh, medical reasons. So you hit the gong and you can diagnose what's going on in the body depending on how the the patient's body reacts to the gong. That's so interesting. Yeah, I thought that was pretty actually cool. just having a conversation about that this morning and yeah, and also like sound therapy. Yeah. Um, and you know how this is a part of other cultures, but we've kind of identified this as a field of sound therapy for us mm-hmm. it's cool yeah, i had no idea i don't know much about that but 
maybe I'll do a segment on that sometime. Somebody was telling me that I don't know much about it, but it sounds really interesting. It's like, well, we do that all the time, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, it's another in field. In addition to the gong photo, I enjoyed the photo of all the performers that Casey was talking about because it's like Michael Burritt, Casey, Shi Wu, Emmanuel Sejourné, and then, <laughs> like everyone was short except for Sejourné, who's super tall. He's super tall. I know, he's so big. <laughs> but Casey, I was wondering, I obviously it was a, a long time ago, I did a, a segment on Mr. Jew and Jew percussion. And can, yeah. you, can you tell us more about this uh, per, Jew, is it, what's the official name? Taiwan International Percussion Festival, something like that? Yeah, that's right. So of course the Jew percussion group is a, you know, very busy touring per percussion ensemble. And as far as I can tell, they kind of have... Uh, they kind of have three three big things they do. One is the the, the older group uh, of you know professionals doing the contemporary perca percussion ensemble music, and then they also have the youth group, and then they have the educational little kid stuff that they do that appears on television and they go to elementary schools and I think that's a big part of how they have support and their following. So yeah, the, the festival itself, they added a new component this year, which was the competition. So in addition to that performance, I also judged the percussion quartet competition and the first prize was $15,000. And they also had a marimba competition, first place, also $15,000. So they're going to start doing this every two years. And with that kind of money, I mean, it's it's going to be on the, the map. Who won yeah. those? For sure. You know, uh, it, it, sad in a way that it was both two groups from Taiwan. So I guess that's not too surprising. Taiwan's right there. More people are going to compete yeah, and apply yeah. from Taiwan. Mm -hmm. But in a way, I kind of felt like, ah, shoot, that's probably not you know, it doesn't help them look great when that happens, <laughs> but it, it was yeah. also very clear. I mean, all the judges were in agreement and it was very, it was very easy. There well, was yeah, a, you a had nice an international panel of judges. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I, I mean, it felt fine, but it, it also was kind of like, oh man, it would have been nice if a, a foreign group won just since, I don't know, it would show some encouragement for more people to come. But second place was still... I think second and third in each category was from other countries. Yeah, they were, but okay. do you remember what the prize money was? 8000 I thought it was eight and three. Yeah, so it's still like a ton of money. I know, right? So 15 yeah. in each category, so that's 30000 Second place, 8000 in each category, 16 and then another three in each. So Don't quote me on that, but it, I thought it was something like I'm that. I'm quite sure that's what that's it excellent. was. That's, that's an almost Tchaikovsky competition money right there. <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's scary to think out there that there are these competitions struggling to get any prize money. And, you know, then there's something like this and they all have to compete because students can only afford to do so many things every, you know. So in a way, it's really good. Wow, here's this new competition. But you also worry like, oh, no, does that mean that you know, these other competitions are going to suffer or whatever? But I don't know. I mean, it it was really great, though. I mean, I can't imagine they they could have ran it better. It was really, really yeah. smooth. Did you hear in in either category? Did you hear any uh, either new pieces that you weren't familiar with that sounded amazing, or old pieces that just got played really, really well? 
I'm sure you did. Yeah. Any, yeah, yeah, in both in both cases, and I'm and I'm really wish I had the program with me because I knew you'd ask about rep because you always <laughs> do. <laughs> um, Doll's House Story was a common one uh, that that got, it got played once, but that was that was one, and um, um, that uh, Zivkovich uh, Takyara, Taknara, Taknara. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that that one got done. The second place group did that, and what was, sorry, yeah, what was the first one you said? A Doll's House Story. Okay. Or, sorry, Doll's House Story. It's one of those Amadinda commissions gotcha. and premieres and, and famous recordings. And actually, on our uh, previous two episodes, you'll hear Zoltan, uh, Zoltan Rotz talk about that a lot. Yeah, because there's some cool history and some cool political strife around that piece that uh, just most people don't even, you know, you wouldn't know unless you were from Hungary. So it's, it's yeah. cool to hear him talk about that stuff. Interesting. Yeah, it's weird Have to talk been... about that now when that episode's not released yet. But <laughs> by the time this is released, it'll be two episodes old. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Have you guys heard of the M Prize? No. Yes, the, the yes. Michigan one. Yeah, it's at University of Michigan, and you know when you're talking about that prize money, um, we were you know saying it's a lot. Um, the prize money for that is a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And, you know, at first it was like, whoa, that's a lot. And my first thought was like, I've been thinking about this more and more, is that, you know, that is just a statement that artists deserve to be paid, you know, or that arts need money to survive, to, you know, have a life, you know, a comfortable life that they can make their art and deserve that. And so I think by... You know, they could have taken that money and putting it, putting it other places, and instead, it's like, no, we're going to use a giant chunk of change to like jumpstart uh, to help you make mm-hmm. music because it doesn't pay very well. You know, at least at the, the Emprise is it, it's yeah. open chamber ensemble, right? It could be yeah. any instrumentation. Because I yes. mean, like, here's a thought: like, honestly, the amount of equipment so percussion has is probably a hundred thousand dollars or more. I mean, <laughs> sure, of course, yeah. Well, the winner this year was the Russian Renaissance, um, and it's a. They're described at. They're from Moscow, Russia, and it's called. Um, uh, or they're described as quote high caliber traditional folk music through a modern lens. Um, it's a quartet, and so also you're you're kind of saying, um, having someone win from another country. It was it was cool to hear that. Oh, I'm glad it wasn't. I'm not glad that it was an American group, but it's nice to see um, an international group having you know, put through so much effort and travel to, to compete and, and do so well. It's really cool. But I mean, this, I think this is the second year for the Emprise. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's only the second year, but also because of that giant prize money, it it garners a lot of attention and, you know, has a lot of participation from all over the world. That would feel like winning the lottery. I mean, that's so much money. I I mean, yeah, for for us, effectively, I don't really know what I could do with any more money than that. So it basically means (laughs) that's so much money. I know. That's crazy. Yeah. Interesting. The the Jew group, you mentioned so percussion equipment. They played this piece that used uh, 100 gongs on stage. Wow. And you guys saw the really big one that I said was uh, about sixteen thousand U.S. dollars. The the best range for those tune gongs to me is that that lower medium end, about 
I don't know how big is that 20, 20 inches or so, 25 inches, something like that. That is just the sweetest tone. And that's, that's just really the sweet range of the instrument in my opinion. So of course, you know, the gongs get really small and then they also get that massive big, but that's really the sweet spot. And those cost about $5,000. And these guys had about how many of that size on stage do you think? At least um, two octaves. Two octaves? No, but of, of those. the pitches they needed. Sure, but of like the the pretty big ones, probably like eight of them or something. Wow. Okay, and they also, and then of course they had, uh, you know, they had lots of smaller ones and they had really little ones. And this, Were they tie gongs? Um, are they tie gongs? Let's see. Well, they're the, they're the tuned nipple gongs. Yeah. yeah. Are those tie gongs? Maybe. I, I feel I, I don't really know the difference, you know, because you've okay. got all these different kinds of Balinese gongs, different kinds of Indonesian gongs. I think but, you I, know, the ones that we most commonly use here in the States, it seems like, are almost always tie gongs with I, the the gold sketched out that, that we, we order from Steve Weiss. Tie gong right. might be sort of a generic American name. Interesting. <laughs> because, yeah. I mean, having played in a gamelan, like, they're not, I guess, generally the tie gongs that I've seen, and the, only the ones that I've seen, are smaller. I don't know what your experience is, Megan. You've also done Gamelon. But tie gongs, I've, I think of like the 6 to 8 inch range. And the Balinese gongs, though, are very similar. They just happen to be maybe 30 inches or so significantly But larger. the tie gongs go all the way down. I mean, Yeah, I but I, I'm just saying the ones that I've seen. Uh, These ones... So, so, so the the design you said, Megan, that we get from Steve Weiss. These ones, they're a little flatter. The bulb is not as pointed. Okay. So it's a it's a little it's a it's a little more rounded, and okay. and it's 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 more like this as opposed to that. I uh, see. And and actually, we learned they hammer that thing all the way out just by hand. Maybe this is old news to everyone okay. listening and you guys, but I didn't. I had no idea that they just physically hammered it out. And huh. um, man, they, 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 they actually let us. They let us each take a whack at one. They were mm-hmm. making one. They just had a flat piece of metal, and they let us each. Uh, myself, Laurel, Julie Hill, and Brian Zader, and our our new DMA student who brought us to the factory. He's from Taiwan. Um, Kai Paulon, he. He, he brought us there, and we all got to take a whack at it, and I couldn't even make a dent in it. And I hit it, I hit it hard. <laughs> That's so just, crazy. Did they talk how about how they cast them? Yeah, that too. So, okay, now it's getting out of my knowledge, but it, I real think quick, they I'm... literally cut this metal, and then they all they hammer it. Like, even making the round shape, yeah. they hammer all of that. So they take a... Uh, it's just a rectangle. A, yeah, they take a rectangle huh. and hammer it this way until it curves. Because Ford, Ford has a some I don't know what country it's from some big gong, but I think if from what I remember, I think he said he was there when they poured it, and I think for that he said they actually like dug out something in the ground and they poured the melted bronze or whatever in. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, there's and that's what I was expecting to see, and we didn't see anything like that. No pouring or or anything. I think it was all cutting and hammering, and then there must be welding at some point, but. Yeah, 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 pretty interesting. But back to the gear. So I told you all yeah. these gongs and however much money you want to figure out that is. They also had another set of those, another hundred gongs in route to Moscow for their next gig. So they have two sets of those things. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bonkers. But enough about me yeah. and Taiwan. What have you guys been doing this summer? <laughs> Who wants to go first? 
I'll go because I probably uh, had the the least exciting. Cool. <laughs> um, musically, the least exciting. Uh, I've I've visited some family, but no one on the podcast wants to hear about that. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be an uncle, hooray! But Yay! Uh, yeah, so I decided to try and really focus in on music this summer. So I'm preparing for a big recital next year that I'm going to split with our trumpet professor. Uh, so I just finished learning a couple pieces. I learned Ilyash, and I recently decided I wanted to use uh, Mr. Zhivkovich's mallets for that, which are way heavier than my Keiko Abe mallets, which are already heavy. <laughs> so it's been interesting relearning how to play marimba with mallets that weigh twice as much as what I'm used to, but it's going You okay. know, a nice a nice happy middle of that would be the uh, Cangelosi mallets. <laughs> nice, Too expensive. Nice, nice uh, medium. <laughs> send me some on rattan, and I'd love to play with them. Uh, but then I'm also learning a piece by Andy Akiho called Intuition Expectation. Do you guys know this piece at all? It's a trumpet and marimba duo. And huh. it's wicked hard because it has certain parts of it where the two hands have to function independently. So one hand has its own dynamics relative to the other and they move up and down independently. And it also has some crazy rhythms like subdivided fivelets. So I've been working on that. And the uh, Yoshioka Rhapsody for Chamber Ensemble, amongst other things. So, got quite a few irons in the fire here. Uh, but that's kind of my summer. It's just practice. Well, I went to Rochester uh, to graduate, which was fun. Yay! Uh, and then I went to Michigan. Uh, I was recording a CD with a group called What is Noise? And that was our first CD. So, that was a lot of fun. It was a great recording studio. Um, good experience up there in Kalamazoo. And now I'm on a cross-country road trip with a close friend. Um, and I wanted to talk, I, I had some awesome percussion adventures the last two days because um, I visited the Marimba One factory in Arcata, California. And I bought a Marimba One, I guess, nine years ago and have always loved that instrument and have also like, just really been interested in the way that it was made and interested in the sustainability of, uh, of Rosewood and uh, the, the, yeah, the safety of, of it, of its, its existence. And I always try to go talk to Ron at PASIC about, you know, about Rosewood and about his process and how the business is doing and things like that and have worked for him a couple of, for a couple of conventions and learned more, even more about it then. And so I kind of always saw this as like a pilgrimage going to Arcata and actually like seeing where the mermaids are made. And, and, um, and it was, it was, it was amazing. I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible operation and we're going to have him on the podcast here in a few weeks. Um, but, and we, he can tell us more about the process then, but I definitely have to say that if anyone is in California, I mean, it's totally out of the way, you know, it's not close to San Francisco. I think it's four hours, five hours. Will North. he let someone just go visit? Can you just kind of email and yeah. say, hey, I'd love to, I'm a percussionist, I'd love to see the factory? I'm sure, and... that's exactly what I did. Yeah, I mean, cool. I'm sure you could totally do that. It's just not really on the way to anywhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's it's beautiful out there um, in Arcata, and it, it was a cool town to visit. There's some breweries there as well, lots of camping, and there's um, it's just north of the Redwood Forest. 
And yeah, it was a really pretty drive to get up there. But the operation was super impressive. And just talking to him about sustainability and what he does, how he, you know, he's making vibraphones now. So kind of how that came to be. Um, but he is just, he's such a dedicated craftsman. I mean, he really, really knows what he's doing and is absolutely dedicated to getting the best possible sounding instruments. And um, so it's cool to see that in action. So we'll talk to him in a couple of weeks. Then I went a little further north and I went to Eugene because I've been playing in Bira, uh, the Shona instrument from Zimbabwe for about seven years. There's an ensemble at Eastman. I, I'm sure I've talked about this on the, on the podcast before, but I was playing, I had learned there at Eastman and have been playing ever since then. Now I have a group at Mizzou. And so I'm always trying to learn more and more and uh, this music is t taught by ear, you know, you can't just buy method books. Um, so you, you have to find Zimbabwean artists to learn from. That's hard to do in central Missouri. I found this woman in Eugene um, who runs an art center called the Kutsunira Cultural Arts Center. And uh, she um, has been doing this since 1990, the, the center was founded. And um, she, one of the big things that she does is she gets artist visas for the Zimbabwean artists. So, or I'm able to bring them to Missouri um, because she has brought them to Eugene first for this cultural arts center. They're in residence there and then they will go tour. So um, a little bit about the center. I have their website pulled up here. It's called Kutsinhira. If anyone's interested, it's spelled K-U-T-S-I-N-H-I-R-A, Cultural Arts Center in Eugene. And it was a, it's a nonprofit organization dedicated to studying and sharing the music of Zimbabwe. It was founded in 1990 to continue the work of Dr. Dumisani, or Dumi, Marare. And he's a Shona master musician who was a grad student. I believe he was a grad student. At, yes, he was a doctoral student at the University of Washington. And he kind of introduced the Pacific Northwest to Zimbabwean music. And now there are all these marimba bands. I cannot wait to learn more about this. I'll do on a segment about it when I learn more about it. But uh, there are these giant marimbas um, that are that play traditional Shona music on them, but also new compositions. And it's kind of a new thing to Zimbabwe. But it's incredibly popular in Zimbabwe and also in the Pacific Northwest. And so at the center, they had a marimba band. So we got to sit in with the band and kind of see what they do and, and learn a little bit of, of um, one song. Uh, but they have community groups. The particular group that we sat in was a group of five or six women who had been playing for five years together. And they weren't musicians. I don't think they were musicians. Um, definitely not professional musicians, but they were so dedicated and they've been doing it for a week every, um, they do weekly for, have been doing that for five years. So it's like very embedded into the community in Eugene, but also in the Pacific Northwest. And it was cool to kind of see it in action. So that's Kutsunir Cultural Arts Center. Wow, Stop great. Stop by if you're ever in Eugene. Yeah, way to go. I see you didn't visit our buddy Pius Chang. Good move on that. I didn't. I didn't get in touch with him. You sound so happy to not. <laughs> <laughs> it, this, the hardest thing about this road trip is that it's like, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to be here and here and here and here. But you forget like how much time it takes to get from one place to the next. <laughs> so it's like, okay, we can do one thing or do one hike. Yeah. Um, each of these places and we got to drive for eight hours, you know. For sure. Yeah. Like PASIC a little bit. There's so many people. Can we grab a drink or a coffee? I know. 
and and like, it's impossible you know, to even do impossible. a a tenth of them. It's just it's it's just a little bit nuts. Laura, what you do is as popular summer? as you at pace it, Casey. A tenth, Ben. You hear that? <laughs> a tenth. A tenth. I, I'm keeping. I'm like, score. anyone want to grab lunch? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's exhausting. Uh, Laurel, where did you go? You went to New Music Gathering, right? I did. So um, my duo, L&M Duo, performed this year at New Music Gathering. And I don't know if you guys know what this is, but I, I'd heard of it just a little bit before we applied to play. So I thought I would just share with everybody what it was, or what it is, excuse me. So five composers began this conference called New Music Gathering, where they just wanted to have groups of people come together and talk about new music and what they were doing all over the country. And it was held for the third time this year at Bowling Green State University. Uh, the first one was in San Francisco, and then last year it was in Baltimore, and this was year three at BGSU. It consists of lectures, concerts, presentations, and panel discussions that are all about new music, and that's usually built around some sort of theme, and this year that was support. So everything had to do with either you know, building community and how to become part of community, or it was about grant writing, or in the case of a vocal <laughs> lecture that I went to, it was about like supporting the voice and understanding the actual anatomy to support it properly with air. Um, and the, the mixed of instrumentations was really cool to me. Like I didn't know how I would like it because I was looking at the things that were being presented and some of it was so specific like about this particular technique on the flute. And you're like, well, yeah, that might be interesting, but I also might be really bored. And you just don't know, you know, but you just go to see. And it, it turns out that everybody is such an expert in what they're doing that it's interesting just to see how much they know. And for example, I went to this vocal lecture and I learned so much <laughs> about the voice and I, kind of like to think that I know a little bit about that, having played for singers for a number of years at this point, but it was it was really pretty mind-blowing. It was really very cool. And uh, Marianne and I were part of a concert just called a Grab Bag of Awesome concert. So it was all of these different artists, and both for us, and then every single concert that took place, you had so much time for load-in and setup and a sound check. And they even accommodated a rehearsal for us, which is pretty incredible because I've played at other places, not PASIC, but other conferences where you don't have time. Like you have like five minutes to get in the room and then play. And you that's have, it. You have played at PASIC. I have, but PASIC was not as rushed as that. Like we had oh, a little it. under I an hour. You know, it. that was yeah. at least time. Yeah. Um, uh, and a, a big highlight of new music gathering is something they call performer composer speed dating which is exactly what it sounds like so it's this big room and you have a circle of composers and then inside that you have a circle of performers and there's a giant gong in the middle gong seems to be the theme for the day yeah it I is guess. <laughs> there's a big gong in the middle but was it like giant i mean it no it was like a typical um, and I guess it was technically a tam-tam, not a gong. But anyway. Did you tell them that um, they should invest in a $16,000 gong from Taiwan? Yeah, I need to tell them, like, you guys aren't doing this right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you have, like, three minutes to meet performer, composer, and you just talk to each other about what you do. And then they smack the gong and you rotate. And you just meet people 
this way. And it was, it turned out to be like one of the coolest things of the conference because you're just forced to talk to someone about what you do. And that's not typically what happens, but, you know, Marianne and I met some um, women who were composers that we thought were really, really cool. So we hope to commission them. Um, but it, it's funny, like how quickly you can tell if a collaboration is going to work or if, you know, if you just don't gel and it's okay not to gel, but you know, you can tell pretty quickly. Um, Interesting. The only other thing I will say about it is that this year, the kind of guest of honor was Steve Schick, which was really cool. Yeah. And so he gave a big opening address that I missed, but is all over the internet written out to find. Uh, and he gave a solo recital at the opening concert, which was of course fantastic. Yeah. As we all know. Um, and people at the conference talked about his opening speech the whole time. Like everyone was so moved by this. And I did copy out just a few bits and pieces. If you guys don't mind if I read it. Did anyone Please. mention his at percussion sure. episode? <laughs> yeah, he basically just played his at percussion yeah, episode on a projector. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it should take like two minutes. Uh, yeah, to read, but the Let's you know keeping in mind that the theme of the gathering was support, and the subtitle of his speech was in pursuit of an externally facing artistic practice. And I'm starting kind of in the middle towards the end of his speech today with the responsibility I feel toward my art to my students and my community, and with what I know about our world, music as a soloistic venture is not sustainable. The simplicity of hitting things can wait. What I need now is the sustenance of a rich connection between music and the rest of life. In order to make music, I need three healthy relationships with the materials of my art, with the world around me, and with the people with whom I share it. These are the building blocks of what I think of as an externally facing artistic practice. The goal of an externally facing practice is to become as complete a human being as possible in whose life music plays a central and defining role. On the other hand, the goal of an internally facing practice, the default stance of much academic training, especially in this country, is to be the most skilled musician possible. A rich and rewarding extra musical life is secondary. The external view is built on education, the internal one on training. An externally facing practice demands that we transcend the claustrophobia of the concert hall and imagine our art not as a set of skills, but as an ethical orientation to the world. Action on a social level is not simply a matter of making music as well as possible. I am increasingly troubled by Leonard Bernstein's response, formulated in the aftermath of the assassination of John F. Kennedy, that to heal a grievous wound, we must, quote, make music more intensely, more beautifully, more devoted. Hey, perhaps that was enough. For Bernstein in a nation united in grief, but it seems like a hollow dictum now, since at this moment we are not united, but rent by savage cross currents of contention, bigotry, and cruelty. And anyway, are we not already making music as intensely as possible? What would it mean to go further than Bernstein? Or as one San Diego church posted recently on its marquee, what would you do if you were brave? I ask us to hear the voice within each of us that reminds us that music is not merely a set of skills. Making music today must be about nothing less than asserting moral force. It must be about how we, we who have so much and who live so fully, can act responsibly in a world where so many have so little. It must be about the voices too faint to hear. 
And he closes with a poem by Wendell Berry called The Real Work. It might be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And that when we no longer know which way to go, we've come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. And then he just said, thank you for listening. And that was the end. Cool. Oh my gosh. Steve Schick for president. I know. Yeah. It's great. Please. And you can, uh, if you just search like New Music Gathering Steve Schick speech, you can find yeah. the whole transcript. Cool. Yeah. I've heard about, I've heard, had heard some people talking about that already. Uh, yeah. I need to read that. It's really amazing. It's really, I, I really appreciate him. It seems like he isn't just doing the same thing that he's been doing for 30 years that he knows works. Like he's, I don't get the sense he's reading the speech he's been saying for, like we've been to that clinic. Mm. In fact, we were at a clinic. I won't say who, cause I'm going to be polite right for now. Um, and, uh, you know, you had notes from this clinic, this guest artist from how many years ago? Six Was it Pius? Six. Yeah, totally. That guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Six years ago. And it was, it was just like you pulled out your notebook and as this person was talking, okay, there's that, there's that like word for word. And, exactly and, and I mean, I know sometimes you have to, you have to do what you've done. And but I, I just, I don't know. I, I appreciate the, the, the motivation of, you know, doing this again for who you are now, all these years later. And, and maybe there's some listener out there that's saying, no, Casey, you're wrong. He's been saying that for a long time, but I don't, I don't think so. I haven't heard any of it. And I've listened to a whole lot of what he has out there. And of course, what's in the book, and I, I, I don't haven't, He's haven't heard of that. He's also just a so. supremely intelligent human being that could talk for days on end and hold anyone's interest, really. Yeah. Right, and that's what I was going to say is that you know we're so lucky to have him in something that like I mean he can do a lot of things that a lot of us cannot do, but something that he is so gifted in is that he's such an eloquent speaker, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so to have him be a keynote speaker at, you know, such an important event. I think that the more people he <laughs> can reach the pause as, as the better, you know, I mean, yeah. I, well, I, I appreciate it. Book. Yeah. There's a, um, a, a part of the speech that I did not mention where he talks about what he talked about with us, that pilgrimage walk he was taking and he yeah. thought it was going to be this huge, like, I'm going to be like John Cage and write about the sounds that I hear and it's art. And then he realized like, no, I'm just walking to propose to my girlfriend. And my idea right. about this is garbage. Like, and I love that he just said that, like I had this idea and I thought it was going to be so smart and so heady. And then I realized it was stupid. <laughs> it wasn't. And that's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just like that. Cause I, I feel like there can be a tendency, you know, we feel like we have to defend what we do to the point that we think like, oh, if I just talk about it really smartly and really intelligently, it will become more valid. It's like, no, sometimes we need to say that was a dumb idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really yeah. good point. Do you guys, we... oh, I'm sorry, Megan, go ahead. I don't know. I guess I've just been kind of reflecting over the past couple of weeks since school's been out and there's a little more time just on the importance of, you know, kind of along the lines of what Steve was saying of just like our responsibility <laughs> as human beings, but also as musicians and percussionists, the more specific we get, but um, the importance of like having clarity and room to breathe and think and to make sure that we, we are 
doing what we do and especially all of the four of us as educators that we're like leading you know 10 to 20 people along the same path like um making sure that we are on the right path and that you're doing things ethically and for a reason not just because the curriculum has changed you know i was thinking about this mm-hmm. too I, even when when you know reading this book that we've been talking about patty's book it's like the curriculum the percussion curriculum has changed because the percussion world has changed you well, know talking and about especially steve Schick, i remember hearing steve very directly talk about his teacher in iowa who said he taught him the basics of you know snare drum techniques and things for i think it was one year and then it was like all right steve you're on your own this is out of my league <laughs> yeah after that yeah yeah but you just can't coast you know you have to be reflecting and changing and it's a lot of responsibility to be an educator i've been thinking about this a lot you know it's it's a lot of responsibility to be a a human being that is fortunate like all of us yeah you know um but also then to lead 20 other fortunate people along with you who look up to you it's a lot of responsibility well, and back to the comparison of what you know, what I'm assuming is a fairly new speech from Stephen Schick that Laurel just quoted from, and um, this clinician that uh, I, I was mentioning. You know, I think I, I disagree in a way, Megan. I mean, you can coast, but I don't think you should. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, because some people do coast, and of course they can. But I mean, if you want to move people, like you said, people were crying after this, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's just saying if you. If you do, if you do want to do that, which I, I think we all want to do, you know, the, the lesson there to be learned is, yeah, man, don't just coast, you know, like try to do something really, you know, re- try to do something profound. It's like Christopher Dean said at PASIC regarding composition, and he's worried people aren't trying to be impactful and profound anymore. They're trying to do what they know sells, and, you know, you can do that, but come on, man, don't, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like let's let's try to let's try to like really move people and try to like really do stuff that matters. On that note, talking about what we're doing this summer, Casey, you've had quite a few new YouTube videos and one thing I've noticed about your music is that it's like we're talking about here, it's changing. Like you used to write a lot of sort of jock marimba pieces and Screw even you. like the <laughs> I mean those were your words when you came to Florida. So it's true. <laughs> but like your yeah. like your Jock Marimba pieces now, like the one you wrote was it called A Little Spat, is totally way way more far out musically than anything that I've heard in the past. And it's been really sure. enjoyable to see these new videos you're putting out and see how your thanks composition is evolving. Man, thanks thanks a lot for for noticing. And I, you're yeah, you're exactly right. And it's. It's uh, it's interesting looking back at the older pieces and what I want to write now, and and I think I share this with most composers. They look at some of their older stuff and they go, "Oh man, that's so bad," and I might just get rid of that. That's just not my voice anymore. But I think I'm I'm a little lucky in that I go like, "Oh yeah, okay, that was cool for me back then." Well, and I mean, so it'll be at cool what, for someone else that in that same List, like age. Or, look at what List did. I mean, he wrote these virtuosic piano pieces that were just uh showy pieces i mean there's not that much musically fulfilling about all these lists showy pieces other than they're just really freaking impressive to watch but then he stopped that and he studied composition seriously and wrote his symphonic poems and which are totally way different from the the old list and it's sort of what we're seeing from you casey is like you have these old sort of friends list marimba pieces and then now we get 
the gender of metal or whatever the you know the newer more out there stuff i think that's a completely accurate comparison cangelo seed list i think it's really really good <laughs> no but seriously <laughs> thanks that's <laughs> really thanks a lot that's you really put that nice. one in your 10 tenure file <laughs> well, well, well. Back to back to seriously. Thank you. It was really kind. But uh, back to the the kind of the theme of the the one hundredth episode here being uh, this this podcast. Uh, something I've learned, uh, and my colleagues have expressed to me when I describe what we've done on this podcast and some of the guests we've had and the topics we've covered in in my in the form I have to fill out for my first year review and and now my third year review. The podcast falls under the category of at, like outstanding long-term service project. Uh-huh. So there's like satisfactory teaching, satisfactory service, satisfactory um, um, creative activity, whatever. And then the the highest one in at least the worded description at JMU, the podcast definitely falls under. Which I was, which is a surprise for me. I had no idea this would count yeah. for like anything. Um, I thought it, at most it would count for creative activity, but the the way my colleagues have explained it to me, they say no, it's it's uh, it's service. Yeah. So hopefully it, it does that for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have? I have another podcast question for you guys. Do you have a favorite segment that one of your co-hosts? presented not one that you did but one your co-host did it's probably not fair to spring this on you but does one come to mind Uh, hmm. i'll start while you guys um while you you guys are thinking it better be one of mine (laughs) 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 well well i do i could i could certainly i could certainly come up with a favorite from everyone uh the one that one that i'll say for uh for me was uh Ben, well, actually, it's yours and Ben's, Laurel, because you talked about Ballet Mechanique and Ben talked about Antheil. So, yeah, f- from from you guys doing that, I went and did all this learning of um, Hedy Lamar and what she did and that whole thing. And, yeah, that was, like, exactly the kind of thing I'm trying to get out of this. Someone else is going to present something, and then I accidentally learned something else. So it was, like, really, really satisfying, I thought. Yeah, Ben, you look viewing uh, the 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 blog spot page. That is literally what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. I, he has this kind of blank stare on his face, like. Uh, I'm do that right now. Uh, oh this, yeah, I wish I <laughs> wish I had thought this, of this. The um, screen is flashing. Yeah, sorry, it's it's not really fair. <laughs> I mean, Thanks like I'm sure. Casey. I know, my bad. I'm not sure. I feel well, like. I'll, I'll go. I mean, I thought that I. I love anything about, you know, like a, a strong woman, especially from the early 20th century. So I actually really liked learning about Hedy Lamar. I thought she was pretty much a badass. But See, and, I'm sorry. I also like the, I like the historical things that Ben does because I never, I was supposed to have a class like that, but they canceled it and then just gave me credit for it. So I feel like I like lost out on this huge opportunity to learn things, but I feel like I've gotten it through Ben on the podcast, so it's okay. Uh, sure. Uh, okay, I can I can sort of answer this question without really having looked through enough. But my favorite interaction, I think, was on Sriji's episode when Laurel talked about like mindfulness, and then Sriji jumped in and talked about what was the analogy he made, like how an elephant or not an elephant, how a monkey and a kitten raised their babies. That was great. Yeah, I remember teachers, that. I like. I thought that was that was definitely a, one of my favorite moments that sticks out in my mind. 
You, yeah, I, I totally remember that now. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I love it how we've been really lucky with how we we haven't given the guests sometimes no heads up on what we're going to talk about. In fact, usually no heads up. Usually not. And, yeah. and most of the time, they're right with it. They know. They have something huge to say or they're even really experts in what we what we talked about. Um, I, I think about um, Mike Rosen from Oberlin and back to the Hedy Lamar and the, uh, I mean, he was so excited. He, he kept interrupting us with, like, you <laughs> couldn't hilarious. get through your segment. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Cause, I mean, he was so knowledgeable about that topic. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't plan that. It, it's really, it just says something about our community and the type of energy people have for this or, or something. I mean, I don't know. I can't put my finger in words uh, on exactly what Megan? Yeah. Megan, did you pick a favorite? I can't pick a favorite! <laughs> well, I guess Megan, the, one, the, the first thing that came to mind, because now that I'm browsing through all these, I have a million favorites, but uh, when you were talking, Laurel, when you were talking about the, um, the artist way, mm-hmm. yeah, that was, I, I really enjoyed that. And yeah, I kind of have like a book list now, you know, from mm-hmm. all the things that, that you've reported on, which is cool. Megan, I have to say my favorite of yours, and it just struck me, I think, in either the way you presented it or the timing of it or something, but the Foo Fighters uh, big thousand-piece band or whatever, that was really fun. And I have to say, I I feel like I get to benefit extra from these, because I do the episodes with you guys, and then I edit them, and then I sometimes listen to them again after so uh-huh. it's it's really good to listen to these things. Uh, I don't know. I know for me, repetition makes things sink into my head a lot better. Yeah. I think yeah. probably my favorite... Uh, I, I don't, like, I was going to say my favorite episode, but I'll just say one of my favorite episodes because Amal Richards was up there too for me, but the Ed Smith episode for me was fun because Ed is just like the warmest person and he's... Mm-hmm. I would say arguably my greatest role model in music. So to be able to sit in a room with Ed and just talk about music for an hour was just like one of the best hours spent of my life. Absolutely. He was really inspiring. I really enjoyed that episode as well. I what loved, about? <laughs> I loved editing his episode because I don't know if you guys have gone back and watched that one, but I, I, I brought in a whole lot of that shadow puppet theater stuff, which when he mentioned it, I didn't really know what it was. I thought it was more like, like Sati shadow theater, like French Mm -hmm. shadow theater, but it was, it's so different. I mean, if you guys haven't, haven't seen that. And if you listeners haven't seen that, just, just make sure you just get eyesight on what those shadow puppets look like. It's really, really cool. Do you guys remember the Halloween episode? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Bill Schaltis. Yeah, that was yeah, that yeah, was serious. Bill oh, like, Megan just had that giant like cutout. Oh. <laughs> that was good. That was good. And I had the I penguin costume. I back and like watched that one a couple of times, and I'm still right. like laughing. Yeah, the penguin costume. That's and I right. kept flapping my my flippers when <laughs> when I wasn't looking. <laughs> so I thought. Since M- Megan just mentioned books, Laura, why don't you tell us? We we have some stats for everyone. I guess we'll call them stats. Casey uh, has not stats. Very... I have stats. Right, we have stats and scores on um some things. So Laura, why don't you tell They're us some of the stuff? 
you read from and the books you've drawn from on the last 100 episodes? Yeah, so I read, um, in their entirety, seven different books. Creativity, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, How to Write to Win, Notes to Myself, The Artist's Way, Social Psychology of Musicianship, and Superbrain. And then I read at least 14 articles. I couldn't really uh, count them all from Mindful, Yoga Journal, Neuron, New Music Box, Slate.com, and... I also read a lot of other blogs and articles online. Yep, yep. Um, I'll do I'll do my little contribution here. I just went back through through our Google Sheets. So listeners, a way we organize this by guest and uh, and by because we all take turns inviting the guests. So if Ben happens to bump into someone, or like Megan said, she just bumped into Ron Samuel, so she booked him. And I happened to bump into Zoltan from Amadinda. We judged together in Taiwan, and I recorded him. And it was, uh, yeah, like a great episode. So uh, a way we keep all that organized is in these Google Google Docs and Google Sheets. So something people have asked is, so what's your podcast going to be about, and what kind of percussionist are you going to focus on, and how diverse are you going to try to be? And I don't know if we've really tried to be anything, if, if I can be honest. I think it's just, well, let's see who we bump into. I just tried to get a sense of what types of people we ended up getting. So I made a couple categories. And of course, if someone applied to a new category, I invented the category. But they go like this. They go soloist, university, administration. So that meaning not like an administer necessarily, but perhaps they organize a camp or something. Um, or they run some type of business. People who do things with youth, composers, industry, orchestral percussionists, world percussionists, jazz percussionists, other, there were a few others, people in professional percussion ensembles, marching chamber groups, and then I just added one for overseas. So if we were talking to someone in a foreign country, I thought it'd be interesting to know how many there were. So when all those scores add up, we talked to 29 soloists, and keep in mind a lot of these overlap. So Mike Burrett, for instance, is one of these soloists, and he's also uh, in the university category. So, And then, of course, there were people that fit into categories, but we didn't interview them in that way, so I didn't give them a check mark for that. So it's not very thorough, but it gives you kind of a, a general idea. So 29 soloists, 40 in the university 34 in the administration. This was really surprising to me, just how many of our guests are performers, educators, but also organizers. So Ted Adcats, for instance, we talked to him about organizing the his seminar a lot. And we talked to him while he was at his seminar. And of course, a huge portion of what he does while he's there is organize that seminar. Uh, people who teach young percussionists there were seven so that would be for instance keith aleo teaching at interlochen i gave him a tick mark for that and composers we got 14 so these are people like alejandro vignal and mark applebaum for instance and uh, ivan trevino a lot of overlap there industry people we had six so say keith aleo also got a tick mark for that jeff moldahill definitely firmly in industry Orchestra, we got 13. Those are, of course, Tom Sherwood when he was in the Atlanta Symphony. Now he's in Cleveland. Sean Tilburg, Phoenix Symphony. Uh, Ted Adkatz, of course, also got a check mark for that. World, 
percussionists, we got six. Jazz, we got eight. Other, we got five. So these were people like Mike Schultz, who's definitely working at a university, but he's doing all those tests in the brain and the mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, Arl, also uh, Mike Cerrito, certainly in the other category. Professional percussion ensembles, uh, people were eight. So Zoltan Rotz is a good example of a recent one. Marching was four. So, of course, Paul Rennick was his obvious recent suspect for that one. But also I counted Brian Calhoun for that one. He's our episode number one. And although that's not his professional job right now, we talked to him a lot about marching and his time in the Blue Devils, if you guys remember. Chamber groups, so things outside of percussion ensembles, I got 11. And we had 14 international interviews. So I thought that was pretty... I don't know. I don't know what that really means, but that's where those numbers uh, landed. And as far as guests booked, let's see. Megan, you booked 21. Ben, you also booked 21. Laurel booked 17. And I won booking <laughs> booking 32. We got to pick up the slack here, ladies. <laughs> the prize? I don't know. I got to give myself a prize at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, got, I have to say some of those were, I had a little bit of an advantage because I went out and did some interviews so yeah. without organizing a whole episode. So I got a few uh, extras there. And if you're keeping score listening, you'll notice the total of those numbers I just listed is only 91, yet we're at 100 episodes. So, of course, that's because some episodes were two-parters, some did not have guests, uh, etc. Sure. So anyway, those are my those cool. are my numbers, guys. I reported clean numbers. Well, I came up with some, uh, some stats to report, too. Um, wow. So I went through and I, I tallied up the time of every single episode down to the second. And if you were to play every At Percussion episode so far and listen to them all in one fell swoop, it would take you four days, 12 hours, 36 minutes, and 12 seconds. Oh, that's it? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, Ugh. nonstop, all day long, all night long. Um, right. And then my, my statistics came from YouTube, so a lot of people listen, I think, audio only now. Uh, so especially the earlier episodes had some inflated numbers when it was only on YouTube. But, um, so let's see here, we have 1,073 Facebook fans and 530 YouTube subscribers. Our total views on YouTube are 28,790. Hmm. And the most top five most viewed episodes, number five was Ivan Trevino with 850 views. Uh, Number four was episode 48 with Rob Knopper, who had 879 views. Number three was episode 19 with John Parks, who had 898 views. Number two was episode two with Michael Eagle, who had 988 views. And anyone want to take a guess at the top episode, most viewed episode on YouTube? I thought it was our number one episode, right? Anyone else? Isn't it Brian Calhoun? Is it Steve? I was going to say Steve, but... It is Brian Calhoun. Cool. Yes. Who, I should. I mean, I should know that. I'm. Who, I'm the just, one managing that page. So just I for reference, know. Michael Eagle had 988 views. Brian Calhoun had 1,428. So way to go, Brian. If we're giving out awards today, Casey gets one for most people booked. Brian gets one for most views, and I get sure. one for most historical segments. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you definitely do. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, really it's, it's very interesting. I think it all is very interesting. And and people often ask, so how is it going? How's your viewership? And it's so hard to know because I, yeah. I I don't honestly I honestly don't run into many people who tell me they listen to it via YouTube. So I think a lot of our listens are on Laurel's end because she is managing the Blogspot page, which is hosting the iTunes. Uh, what's that called? The uh, feed? Yeah. Yeah. Post the RSS feed, which goes to like all the podcatchers. Right. Yeah. So it's it's really hard to tell. And I I thought I would I would say something about I'm I'm really happy we got through a hundred episodes and I've had very few disasters. The only disaster we had was the Jennifer Higdon episode, which the technology failed us. You guys remember it uh And it was such was, a good episode too. I know it was really, really good. It it was so nice, and it it was just so telling about her. And I, I don't know, yeah, it was such a bummer. So if only that would have been the Pius Chang episode that failed, <laughs> would have been great. <laughs> um, but so yeah, I feel really lucky about that. I was gonna say we have had very little criticism. Uh, every I've run into maybe uh, one critical comment, which was also very positive. A fella said, "Hey, I uh, love love the show, but isn't this supposed to be a percussion podcast?" And that's all they said. And I think that is a good point. But I also realize I I really like the topics that are general art topics, and like the Foo Fighters thing Megan did, or the Hedy Lamar. Or, um, and I think the one that he brought it up on was one of my Wonder Woman things, which I know those can sometimes go on too long. So I think I can watch that. But I think the topic itself is is really interesting and like worth talking about. And I think that's really cool. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we should we should keep doing those things. But yeah, I, it's it's interesting. Both of our, or at least my reaction was like, dude, you can get shop talk anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Like, shop talk is so easy, but I, I feel like there's a, I don't know, like, to be a responsible musician now, just like Steve said in his speech, like, you have to have a responsibility with, like, the rest of the world and, and what art means. And mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't just ignore it and put it in a bubble and only talk about it. It's almost like that turns it into a hobby to ignore how it fits in with the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I but I appreciate. It. I think it does say something about like, okay, yeah. So maybe I can be too long winded on certain things or or something, or maybe you have to know when to like, okay, stop doing research on this because it's now bleeding into the thirty minute area, and that's way too <laughs> long for for a, a non percussion uh, segment. I had that problem. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, yeah, I think we're always able to relate it, and I mean, four and a half days of nothing but just percussion <laughs> talk. That's a lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I think, you know, this is about us, too, and us, our relationship as four people and our relationship with art and music and percussion and also our listeners. And I think, yeah, like you're saying, Laurel, I think it's very inclusive if it's just percussion. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, yeah, I mean, I think percussion is talking about stuff is still about percussion, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I, but I want to tell that listener, you know, thanks. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. You know, it's yeah, well said and and nice. and kind. We did okay. have one troll on an episode on YouTube, and it was simply because they 
did not like the guest. They um, were had some have some contentious past with the guest, and yeah, it was a it was a I, something I hopped on because he was attacking you guys and what we're doing, which pissed me off, and I fired back and. I definitely won. So, mm-hmm. in YouTube comments, <laughs> I remember this conversation, but I forgot. We could talk about it later. I forgot who it He's, was. He since delete. <laughs> he since deleted his portion, yeah. so it's it's gone. But I have our whole face private Facebook conversation. All that's right. Okay, I remember. I remember. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, and I, I would just right. put it into the category of criticism. And one thing the person did bring up was why why did you book this guest this other person would have been a better guest for this topic that's right ben you guessed it uh in the chat there but um yeah this other person would have been a much is much more um how did he word it is much more worthy of this topic and much more um much more of a established professional for this topic. And I would just respond by saying, well, that's not what we're always after. It is great to get a big name composer like Alejandro Vignal, but I'm also really interested in uh, having a master student on who has, is, is, is new at something and getting people that are at different stages in their career. So no, like, please don't think our guests are, uh, thought of in this way and chosen because of their more more or less deserving or whatever. That's um, just not how we're doing it. Right. And if you want us to do it that way, um, you know, sorry, go to hell. Right. Yeah. Nor are we choosing our guests of like who's going to get us the most views or something. I love that. That's not a concern of like right. how do we move this to the next level? It's like no, we just want to talk to people who are passionate about things <laughs> yeah exactly and and that's something else i want to say i'm really proud of we're not trying to make any money doing this i know <laughs> I, I know one time i said that and ben said speak for yourself casey i'd love to make a little money but <laughs> <laughs> but but people have said this many times like you know this is a big podcast and you have a lot of people you could probably make some money and i'm just i'm, I'm not interested yet and those stats Ben gave about viewership and likes and growth or whatever, I'm really happy to say I didn't push this thing on the university percussion page or the all marimba page or anything. No, like no, no, this, none of this advertising BS. This is just a thing we're doing because we like to do it. And um, yeah, if it doesn't make us any money, that's perfectly fine with, with us. Perfectly fine. No, we don't have to pay any taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly fine with Casey. Yeah. <laughs> Still waiting for my million dollar check. You have that. You have that mic. I bought you that mic. <laughs> we should try to make enough money to buy ourselves dinner at Pasic. Let's do that. <laughs> We're definitely still in the red, I think. Yeah. 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 The mics, the software, and the dinner. Yeah, it's all in the red for sure. <laughs> yeah. Is everybody going to Pasic this year? I think so. I haven't yeah. even thought about Are it, you honestly. Laurel got a presentation accepted again. Oh, yeah. Yay. What is it, Laurel? Can you tell us about it? It's my uh, percussion mind thing with Mike Cerrito. Oh, right. That's great. So he'll come with you? Yep. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. We're excited about it. How's that going, by the way? Are you still doing surveys and stuff? Well, the survey part's over. We're in yeah. the analysis stage. Cool. And, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, I think 
thanks so much for 100 episodes and I guess cheers to 100 more and to all, everyone listening thanks a lot uh, please keep keep giving us comments and if if uh, suggestions arise please we've gotten so few our egos can take it so please give us some and yeah you know the one statistic we didn't do with what we should have what's that animal appearances <laughs> oh that's right <laughs> That that would have been harder to document. Yeah, definitely a couple cats, only a couple dogs. I remember Mike Rosen's dog. I remember um, oh, what's the guy Steve Schick's former student that we had had a dog. Oh, Maybe I don't your know. cat. Favorite dog was it Hank? Hank, yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's almost been a naked. There was almost a naked kid. <laughs> That's John Parks. Oh, yeah, right. Pants, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay, hey, well, thanks, everybody, and we'll catch you on episode 101, which will be Gene Kaczynski. So catch you guys then. All right, thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.